There's a sweet little movie out I like so much I saw it twice. It's called Yesterday. It's a love letter to the music of the Beatles. Some cosmic wires get crossed, and all the world's lights go out for 12 seconds. On a pitch black street, our hero, Jack, a young musician, is knocked from his bicycle by a bus and sent flying through the air. Shock that throws him out of phase with the rest of the world for those 12 seconds. When the lights come back on, and after Jack comes to, the whole universe has changed except for him, it seems. He is going to learn that for the world it is now as though the Beatles hadn't happened. Jack finds this out when his friends give him a new guitar to replace the one that got busted in the accident. He unwraps the guitar and they ask for a song. A great guitar deserves a great song, Jack says, and so he sings yesterday. Moved to tears, his friends think that Jack wrote it. And so we imagine a world that hasn't heard the Beatles. Jack will show the world what it has been missing. Approaching Jesus, a lawyer asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? John, the Beatle, wrote a song inviting us to imagine life without that question. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. John was right about that. It's easy to imagine there's no heaven. Above us, only sky. Oblivion is easy for us to wrap our minds around. For a few seconds, we empty them and think of nothing. Conceptually, heaven is a tougher nut to crack than that. Our brains were made in time for use in time, not to grasp eternity. About the best we can manage is to think of eternity as a very, very long time. But, as St. Augustine pointed out, time itself is one of the eternal God's creations. Eternity somehow transcends before and after. God sees tomorrow just as clearly as he sees yesterday. It is hard to Im for us to imagine our life in that. Our hope is mind-blowing. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question seems audacious. Who are we to inherit eternal life from God? But Jesus doesn't treat the lawyer's question as ridiculous. He engages in a little back and forth that culminates in his story of the Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was set upon by thieves who beat him, stripped him, robbed him, left him half dead. All the stories ever sung or told, this one is high on the list of the world's most cherished. What yesterday was to Lennon and McCartney, the Good Samaritan is to Scripture. And it's had a little longer ride atop the charts. Let's play for a moment with John's imagined world without religion. The cosmic accident occurs again. The lights around the world go out. The bus hits Jack, who wakes up in a hospital. His friends come by and ask him how he's doing. 
He says, I'm all right, I think, thank God. Friends are puzzled. Thank who, they say? God, Jack says, perplexed. Who dat? Later, Jack Googles God, and nothing comes up. It autocorrects to Cod, and the screen fills up with North Atlantic fishing scenes and old pictures of Kennedy sailing boats or playing touch football on the Cape. And so we imagine no Jesus, Moses, Buddha, or Muhammad, or Lincoln's second inaugural address. As it was in Narnia, winter always comes, but never Christmas. Imagine our world where we had never heard the story of the Good Samaritan. It would certainly have changed my monthly drive to Little Rock many years ago. As a young priest, I would drive once a month or so from Van Buren on the Oklahoma border to Little Rock for meetings at the bishop's office here. That was a two-and-a-half-hour trip each way on Interstate 40. Back in the 80s, on almost every entrance ramp, there would be someone with a backpack holding out his thumb. They were always single men, and they looked rough. I would think about the Good Samaritan and wonder, should I pick him up? And a little self-debate would start. Love your neighbor as yourself, one side of me would say for the affirmative. In college in New England, I had hitchhiked some, mostly local rides to colleges nearby, but some cross-country. It took a while, but I always got rides. Do unto others as others had done for me, that voice would say. Another internal voice of mine would come in with a rebuttal. Don't be foolish, it would say. These men aren't college students. Hitchhikers can be dangerous. A friend of my father's had been killed by one. Besides, I need some time to think about this meeting I'm going to or my Sunday sermon. Two and a half hours of highway peace and quiet is a valuable commodity. Or heck, how about a little me time? I don't get enough of that. I could turn off an Alma, pull through McDonald's for a large cup of coffee, black, and two biscuits, bacon, egg, and cheese, and then cruise down the highway feeling fine, listening to Mozart or the Grateful Dead. And so I had three options, work, rest, or stop and say, I can take you as far as Little Rock, jump in. Once a month, that debate would happen. I usually settled on a compromise. I would pick up a rider either coming here or going back, but not both ways. One for them and one for me. That way I loved my neighbor and myself, I reckoned. <laughs> I would usually pick up the rider in the morning and get that over with for Jesus. <laughs> if John Lennon had had his way, there would have been no debate at all. The Good Samaritan was a song stuck inside my head. I couldn't forget it if I wanted to. After several years of that, this particular debate was settled for the negative based on two developments. One was the arrival of a baby. Now my safety felt more important to me than it had been had before, and so did me time. The other factor was a scary ride I had. I picked up a man coming back from Little Rock. By Conway, I could tell he was psychotic. And near Moralton, he told me that on bad days, he was homicidal. Do you know what I mean, he asked. 
I was pretty sure I did, and I let him off in Russellville. <laughs> but between Conway and Russellville, I let him pick the music. <laughs> My wife and children needed me alive more than someone on I-40 needed me to offer them a lift, I figured. The priest and the Levite, who didn't stop in Jesus' story, may have had thoughts similar to mine. I often see myself in them, and I think many of us do who have this song inside our heads. The story poses a question. Who is my neighbor? And its remarkable answer is, it can be anyone, even a Samaritan. My neighbor is the one who shows me kindness, who may be from an unfamiliar, even unfriendly tribe. Am I Palestinian? My neighbor may be Jewish. Am I red? My neighbor may be blue. The parable stretches the imagination, requiring us to look for the good beyond our tribe. And then it shows us what to do in concrete terms. Go and do likewise, he says. Follow the Samaritan's example. And there's the rub. Hitchhikers are the tip of an enormous iceberg. In a world of great need, how do we follow that example? In the book of Amos, the Lord calls a, clum, a plumb line to the prophet's attention. A plumb line is a pointed weight hanging from a string. By gravity, it points straight down. If I am sinking a post to build a fence, the plumb line shows me when I have it standing straight up. Loving my neighbor as myself, doing for you as I would have you do for me, is a moral plumb line that the Bible gives us, both Old Testament and New. Anything off that line is crooked. Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher, used logic to reach a similar conclusion. Kant wrote a book with the title, Religion Within the Bounds of Reason Alone. He didn't imagine life without religion, but he did aim to prove the religious truth that all the world could see and agree on without books like the Bible to argue over. He knew that he would have to include a moral plumb line. We need that because in human life, Kant saw, crooked is the norm. From the crooked timbers of humanity, nothing straight has yet been built, he said. Kant put his mind to work and arrived at this conclusion. A person is morally good, I quote, so far as he or she acts on an impersonal principle valid for others as well as himself. So I can't tell what's right or wrong based whether, on whether it's good or bad for me. But I can tell by putting you in my shoes and you in mine. Would I have you do as I am doing? That is a plumb line. Kant's religion within the bounds of reason sounds a lot like religion within the bounds of Scripture, as the lawyer quoted it to Jesus. But the story of the Good Samaritan takes us into moral territory reason hadn't charted. Mercy goes beyond a plumb line. Even people made from crooked timbers can display it. God displays it, too. The world was in a ditch beaten and bruised. In Christ, God the Good Samaritan didn't pass us by. He joined us in the ditch with food and medicine. 
what must we do to inherit eternal life? In the gospel, it's God wanting us to have it that shines through. That makes how could we blow it more the question. With retirement approaching, I'm in the mood for looking back and taking stock. Judging by the measure of the Good Samaritan, it's hard to say how well I've measured up. God gives grades. I can imagine getting anything from an A to an F depending on the subject matter or the day. As far as helping people out of ditches is concerned, I'm afraid I may be below average for a priest. My days are planned out, and I'm not good with interruptions. On the street, when people ask me for help, I usually say no. I have a reason for it, but every time I do, I hear that darn song inside my head. It made me fill my wallet up with meal cards from McDonald's so I would have a way of saying yes that I could feel right about. Those are small-scale moments. On the large-scale questions, stewardship of money, talent, time, I'm not apologizing, but I'm not bragging either. God is merciful, and I'll take my stand on that. This could be bragging, but I'm going to say it anyway. In a way, my life these last 40 years was responding to an interruption. The call to ministry was that for me. I didn't know it when I started, but the church was in a ditch of sorts. The world was too. We're all still in that ditch where we need the gospel badly, all that food and medicine. I guess I handle large-scale interruptions better than I do street encounters. In my office, there's a display of the churches that I've served and the schools I've gone to. Most of them were in ditches, pretty beaten up at the time I went there answering a call. I guess that's been my niche in ministry. As those of you who were here remember, Trinity Cathedral was in a ditch of sorts when I came along not quite six years ago. When I heard once someone, it sounded a lot like Rhett Tucker, holler help, I kept walking for a few yards, but then I turned around. It gives me another alternative universe to think about, the one where Rhett hadn't hollered help, or I hadn't listened, or I had ignored him, and just moved on. And all of this just vanished, like in yesterday, none of us the wiser. For me, the loss would have been almost too much to contemplate. I'd rather have lived without the Beatles.